brothers and sisters in the struggle for human dignity and freedom. I am here to represent the struggle that has gone on for 300 or more years, a struggle to be recognized as citizens in a country in which we were born. This is Ella's Voice, the official podcast of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. Named after the civil rights hero Ella Baker, we organize with Black, Brown, and low-income people to build power and prosperity in our communities. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the very first episode of Ella's Voice. My name is Ashley Chambers and I'm the Communications Associate at the Ella Baker Center. It's March 30th, 2020, and we are currently sheltering in place in response to the COVID-19 pandemic that has gripped the world and is rapidly spreading across the U.S. If you don't know already, the Ella Baker Center is based in Oakland, California, and like everybody else, it was a huge change for us to adjust to social distancing. Over the coming weeks and possibly months, we'll be figuring out how to organize for justice and share information in new ways, like through this podcast. In this episode, you'll hear a virtual town hall where Ella Baker Center staff and members connected online to share updates on the movement work happening and how folks can take action in the face of COVID-19. We'll share what this moment means to folks who are incarcerated and unsheltered and how we can continue to work together to keep our communities safe. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to resources that are talked about during the episode. Um, Thanks for joining us today for EBC's Solution Salon. My name is Ash Lynette and I'm EBC's Senior Resource Organizer. As we gather today uh, together now in this scary, uncertain time, I'm holding a lot of gratitude for the opportunity to learn to organize in a new way online and really appreciate you for joining with us as we do this together for the first time. Um, Right now, we are bringing together folks uh, at a time when we're told not to. Right, because but it's because we know that the only way to keep our communities healthy and safe is to come together and do what we do best, organize and keep fighting. So first up, we've got Zach Norris, our executive director, and James King, our state campaigner, who will offer perspectives on what the moment means for our anti-prison movement and what threats and opportunities lay ahead. Then we'll hear from Emily Harris, our policy director, who will share out what's happening on the state level followed by Jose Bernal, our organizing manager, who will talk about what's moving within Alameda County. And then finally, we'll have Angelo Angelo Sandoval, senior organizer and legal advocate, to talk about what's happening locally in Oakland. Without further ado, Zach, please take it away. Okay, right on. I appreciate having the time and opportunity to talk with you all. Uh, I want to lift up the the words of Crystal Haling, um, who said that we're physically distanced, but we're in social solidarity, right? And 
though we may not be right next to each other, we are still in social solidarity, and that is super important at this moment. Um, the Ella Baker Center, maybe some three, four years ago, we did a report called uh, Public Safety Starts with Public Health or something, something to that effect. And basically it was describing how we should be taking public health approaches to a number of issues from school discipline to sex work to drug use and abuse to um, unsheltered communities and homelessness. We didn't think that we needed to uh, say that we need to take a public health approach to a global pandemic, right? But here we are, and we see leaders at the highest levels of our country using a global pandemic for the same scapegoating, the same demonizing, the same othering uh, framework of fear that they have uh, used in so many other contexts. And so maybe it shouldn't be a surprise to us, but when your society is geared towards punishment, geared towards fear, geared towards scapegoating, when we have the highest incarceration per capita of any country in the world, then even global pandemics can be used to further that framework of fear. But there is good news in this moment. And that good news in my mind is that um, we have an opportunity. Uh, Naomi Klein put out this video um, based on her book called The Shock Doctrine that I encourage everyone to go and check out at theintercept.com. And basically, she describes that when there is a crisis, there is an opportunity to turn political ideas that once seemed impossible into inevitable. And that the ideas that are laying around on the ground are ideas that can be picked up and carried forward. So for a long time, people have said things like, we should have free public transportation in Alameda County for youth and elders and everyone. Um, and everyone has always said, that's impossible. We could never do that. Except for now, just recently, as I understand it, they've announced that we're gonna have free public transportation in Alameda County, right? And when we push for ideas and we create um, uh, some level of momentum behind them, then crises can become opportunities to move those ideas forward. So I want us to lean into um, taking care of one another, practicing good safety. And because, you know, as the title of my book says, we keep us safe. And we should do that, but we should also understand that it's going to take social solidarity to really transform this society to make us permanently safe, to make sure that restaurant workers um, have a future ahead of them, to make sure that formerly incarcerated folks have a future ahead of them, to make sure that all of us have the safety, the, the means of survival that we need to keep us safe. So... Um, we know that there are uh, communities that have already been in life and death situation, even before this global pandemic. And those folks that have been at the margins are now at the, the precipice of being pushed over the edge. And included in, included in that number are the 2.3 million plus people in our nation's prisons and jails across the country. 
and that very quickly those folks in ICE detention centers and in prisons and jails and juvenile halls, those folks who are cleaning those facilities and working inside of those facilities could really become the epicenter uh, of this global pandemic in this country. And so I want to read to you something from an article that I was reading about Rikers Island. And it said, while the outside world is practicing social distancing and stockpiling supplies, residents of Rikers Island are locked down in dorms with beds two and a half feet apart without access to cleaning supplies, personal protection equipment, or soap. And we know that in San Quentin, um, as Emily described to me, there's one unit that's at 200% capacity. So this town hall isn't about um, describing to you where we're at. I think we know where we are. This town hall is about what we can do. Um, and this moment is a moment where we can um, move forward those ideas that are laying around, those ideas of youth, universal health care, free public transportation, massively reducing our overcrowded um, and unsafe prisons, because we know that prisons and jails were a public health crisis even before COVID came along that these ideas are possible in ways that they have not been before. But in order to make them so, we are gonna to have to be organized and we're gonna to have to be creative. And so I wanna to talk to someone who I know has been super organized and super creative. Uh, I first met James King on an interview uh, call with the Ella Baker Center and he was calling from San Quentin. And he was just so poised and so um, impressive in that moment, um, talking about the work that he had done uh, to craft policies inside a prison, to help pass policies, and then to work to get those policies implemented. And um, in order to do that, he had to both be organized and to also to be creative. And we're going to have to be, do the same, because as Ash said, this is a moment that is going to challenge us to think about new ways of organizing, new ways of staying in contact, new ways of putting pressure on the powers that be. And James King is somebody who knows how to do that. So without further ado, I'm going to open up the conversation to myself and James with a little bit of help from Ash and Norma, and just kind of engage in some dialogue with him. And the first question that I wanna ask of you, James, as, as we get set up, is how are you seeing this moment? And I'm gonna pass it to James, who I can't see in the video, but we'll trust that folks are bringing us together. James? I'm here, Zach. Okay, great, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that, that introduction. And I guess the first thing I'd say is, during this time, my thoughts are constantly with our loved ones on the inside. Um, my cellmate, I, I, I've been home about four months, as you know. And my cellmate, we went to the parole board the exact same day. He's an older guy, he's 70 years old. And he gets out on April 17th. So him and, and dozens of others that I know personally who are extremely vulnerable right now are um, very much 
in my heart, my prayers, and my thoughts. Um, many of the systems that make prisons effective at controlling thousands upon thousands of people during typical times are even more dangerous during this pandemic. For instance, this prisons cultivate a culture that's resistant to staff divulging information to the incarcerated community. Mm-hmm. So typically when a quarantine or a lockdown begins and there are several yards on quarantine throughout the state, the first 24 to 48 hours are spent by people just trying to understand what's going on. Um, they do this by asking anyone who passes by the cell, usually a person returning from a medical ducket or, or if it's a staff member, someone going by to count, distribute food or other supplies, just trying to gain some certainty about their own safety. In addition, pr- prison relies upon two things that are, are problematic during the quarantine. One is the illusion of scarcity. The other is the reality of confinement. Everything is rationed in prisons. During quarantine, showers are allowed every 72 hours. At San Quentin, the last prison I was at, they typically would release about 100 people at a time, give them 30 minutes to shower, using about 20 shower heads. Those specifics vary from prison to prison, but the goal is five-minute showers, highly controlled, then back to the cell. In talking to people at San Quentin these past couple of weeks, I've heard that um, H unit dorms, which have a design capacity of 100 people, are at double that, and so are the housing units. On a positive note, prisons do seem to be allowing limited phone calls during these quarantines so people can contact their loved ones. And tomorrow, Global Tail Link will allow free phone calls, though it varies from yard to yard how aware people are, which segments of the population will have access to phone time. Finally, quarantines of prison are never really effective because they don't apply to the staff. Every day, thousands of staff members enter and exit the quarantine areas. And with that in mind, I want to encourage everyone to suggest to their loved ones on the inside that they be extra cautious in interacting with prison staff. Distance themselves from staff as much as possible and wash their hands every time the guards come to the cell or they have to interact with them. Finally, Governor Newsom has said he's unwilling to release people because of a lack of reentry resources. So we want to encourage everyone to contribute anything they can spare to make sure our loved ones are able to reenter society safely. If you are able and interested in being part of a philanthropic push, or you have access to a foundation or donor in biased form, we'd love for you to reach out to Ash on our development team who gave the, the great introduction today. Right on, thank you for that, James. And you know, one of the things that I'm mindful of is that we did this report called Who Pays the True Cost of Incarceration on Families, right? And we did a question to families and to formerly incarcerated folks, well actually to formerly incarcerated folks about like, what was the number one kind of resource for you for housing when you were coming out of the system? And I think something like 50 to 60% of folks actually said it was familial networks um, that actually helped provide access to jobs and access to to housing. Um, So one of the things that we'll be pushing for with the governor, and I'm sure Emily will talk more about this, is really 
support for families directly because there's this myth that um you know folks don't have resources to come home to obviously we're all stretched in this moment but the government could do a lot to kind of feed you know two birds with one seed by actually supporting families who are receiving folks coming home and getting people out of prison at the same time to reduce um the the danger of this pandemic so um I just wanted to add that in and thank you again, James, for, for uh, letting us know a little bit about what's happening inside now. Thanks so much. Um, and now we'll pass it to Emily. Hey, everyone. Um, I am the policy director at the Ella Baker Center. And first, I want to just acknowledge the fear and uncertainty uh, particularly for folks who have loved ones who are currently incarcerated in this country. Um, we know that California prisons and jails have been overcrowded for decades. Um, our current prison population is around 117,000, um, and that is including um, uh, prisons that are built to uh, house the the capacity of them is at 131 percent so if a a prison was built to hold a thousand people it's holding 1300 people and we and so we know that our prisons have reduced crowding over the last several years but they're still um, in a fairly terrible position even before the pandemic and so Um, The Ella Baker Center has been committed to reducing the number of people who are locked up in our prisons and jails and youth prisons over the last several decades, and we've also worked on conditions of confinement. So we have been working in unison with uh, allied organizations across the state who have been uh, coming together rapidly to talk um, and set a series of demands forward to the governor in our state. We know um, that the courts are, most of the courts in the state are closed and the legislature is closed temporarily. And so the main person who can do make a difference for our loved ones in state prisons is Governor Newsom. And so um, we'll share a link to a letter that we helped uh, co-write with a series of 50 or so organizations that signed on that really outline what is needed for our loved ones during this global pandemic. So the main piece being around reducing the prison population. We know that the the safest way to keep folks safe is going to be to reduce crowding. And that can look in a variety of ways, whether it's um, emergency release of people who are highest risk, uh, trying to release elders, uh, looking at other ways to increase or decrease the density and increase releases. So for example, if anybody has been found suitable for parole, expediting their release, anybody who is going to be have parole in the next two years, trying to expedite expedite their release. And in conjunction with that, as both James and Zach were mentioning, is really trying to bolster the reentry services. We know that families are the number one reentry program the state has to offer, but in addition, wanting to work to try to establish more housing and, and more types of resources and support for people. We're seeing the state be able to, you know, try to rapidly house um, folks in our state. And so we believe that they could do that for formerly incarcerated people as well. Um, And then 
We've also had a push for better information and trying to ensure the physical and mental health of people who are currently incarcerated. So anything from the distribution of information, of supplies and materials, making communications accessible and free to families on the outside, and really being transparent about sharing the policies and procedures of what's happening, um, because we know that the you know, the conditions are changing rapidly. To date, there are seven staff members from the Department of Corrections um, in California who've tested positive uh, of COVID-19 and one incarcerated person at Lancaster Prison who has tested positive. And so uh, we know that it's going to require a lot of people power to put more pressure and to follow these demands um, so that there is the kind of momentum behind our governor to do what is right in this moment. Yesterday, he signed an executive order uh, that would suspend the state from accepting new people from county jail into state prisons and to youth facilities for the next 30 days. And he's also moved um to make parole hearings be uh, by video. Um, as, as James mentioned, one of the other things that we have seen the state respond is they've provided two free days of phone calls, um, the one of them being tomorrow. CDCR is doing verbal screenings of people entering the prisons, um, and they have been um, you know, offering JPay through JPay in the five sites where there are um, the JPay program, they're offering some free stamps for folks. But we know that the state can do more and we must act now. So we will have throughout this presentation opportunities for folks to plug in. Um, one of the, the demands that we have been unified with our allies across the state is lifting up the hashtag let them go um, and to call, tweet, and email Governor Newsom and to, to bring anybody that you know who's connected to the governor to really push for the release of people from state prison immediately. We are also working on uh, trying to get information to people inside. We know that information isn't getting to people at the, at the rate that it needs to. So uh, we do have a document that's um, sharing with people the latest updates. Um, we encourage folks to print it and send it in to their loved ones. Um, and then we have volunteers who are signing up to write to everybody that the Ella Baker Center is in touch with, several thousand folks, um, and to share information with them and try to break down some of the isolation at this time. Uh, so within that, there's materials around um, holistic self-care that some of our allies put together to help people protect themselves. Um, and then we also um, have been lifting up some work that our allies at Restore Justice have been doing around trying to get extra money on people's books so that they um, have canteen support and can, can buy additional medical supplies or um, cleaning supplies or anything that they need. Um, so we'll share links with all of those. And then just lastly, if you have a loved one in CDCR, um, again, we have uh, materials for you to send in to your loved ones. 
Uh, we would love to be in contact with you if you are willing to share your story, to speak with the press. Um, the press has been doing a great job covering this issue. And then mainly, if your loved one gets sick at any point, please be in touch and we can put you all in contact with the appropriate attorneys, particularly the folks who have done the health and mental health care or, um, lawsuits. And then finally, we encourage you to contact your legislator, um, ask them specifically to su for support for your loved one, but also demand that your legislator um, and the governor take action to reduce it, the incarceration. Um, and then finally, contact the ombudsman for the prison that your loved one is at. Those are the steps that we recommend at this time. So I'm going to pass it over to uh, Jose from our team, who's going to talk a little bit more about what's happening at the local level. Thank you, Emily. So uh, I want to start off um, on a local level. Uh, we have really been focused as well on uh, decarceration. We've really been focused on Santa Rita Jail uh, and making sure that those that are most vulnerable are uh, being released immediately. Uh, there is some progress that is being made, although not fast enough. Um, uh, last week, uh, we worked in partnership uh, with a number of organizations and our uh, ally uh, that's a public health organization based in Oakland. Uh, Human Impact Partners helped us draft a, uh, a demand letter that we sent out to various uh, Alameda County officials. This includes the district attorney, the sheriff's office. This includes uh, the board of supervisors. Um, essentially, what we're asking for or what we were demanding um, is uh, decarcerating Santa Rita in four steps. Uh, we believe that this is absolutely essential um, to the safety and well-being of everyone. Uh, those steps can be broken down into um, stopping the flow. Number one is stopping the flow of people uh, entering Santa Rita. It's absolutely Santa Rita jail was never safe, and it's it's not a, any safer now. Um, and um, we're also asking for the immediate. Um, uh, end of collaboration uh, with ICE. Uh, we have no assurances so far that that isn't happening. Um, we also want um, uh, end uh, crimeless rev revocations. Um, this is also a time to end money bail and pretrial incarceration uh, in favor of the uh, presumption of release. Um, the second step that we're um, doing right now is um, uh, the, our demand is Alameda County must incarcerate Santa Rita Jail. Um, you know, we understand that this, this is happening in waves, uh, but we absolutely are demanding that they prioritize the immediate release of those who are most directly vulnerable to COVID-19. Uh, this includes adults over the age of 50. Uh, this includes pregnant people, immune suppressed people, uh, and people with disabilities and chronic illnesses. Um, we also, uh, this also includes um, releasing people who are primary caregivers for anyone who falls uh, on the above categories. Um, and we're also uh, asking for them to release, immediately begin releasing people uh, who have a release date uh, scheduled for 2020 and 2021. Um, uh, the third demand that we're asking for um, is Alameda County must meet the immediate needs of the people who are incarcerated. Uh, and so as people are being uh, uh, released, uh, we understand that there, um, it, it's not going to be fast enough, and unfortunately, there are still people there. As I speak right now, there are well over 2,200 people still inside Santa Rita Jail. Uh, this in spite of the 300-plus uh, that have been released uh, in the last week. Um, 
And so while people are there, we have to ensure that they have proper access uh, to hygiene materials, including soap, sanitizing wipes, uh, high alcohol hand sanitizer. Uh, we have to make sure that they're also able to contact their families. Uh, this, is, this means uh, suspending um, any uh, cost associated with making phone calls. Um, this also ensures uh, proper access to healthcare, including COVID-19 testing uh, and mental health services. Uh, so all of this, as as um, people are being released, the folks that are there, we absolutely need to make sure that that is um, happening. Uh, and the big piece uh, right now, which has come up and, and you hear is, um, we believe uh, and we know that Alameda County must, uh, we've always said this, but uh, it's even more imperative now, it's even more urgent. Uh, Alameda County must invest in the assets that really make our communities uh, healthy. Uh, and so as we uh, divest from jails, prisons, detention centers, and policing, uh, we have to invest in health affirming resources, uh, such as robust care, affordable housing, living wages, uh, quality schools, environmental justice, adequate transportation, um, and we absolutely have to do this, and in particular, uh, as folks are getting released. Uh, and so we've been focused on that. Um, and uh, another thing that has um, come up, um, and a lot of things are happening really fast in real time, um, is uh, on uh, Monday, uh, Monday night, uh, we were uh, notified that the uh, Alameda County Sheriff put in a last-minute agenda item on a Tuesday uh, Board of Supervisors meeting, uh, which was yesterday, was held yesterday. And essentially, um, what that last-minute agenda item was, it was a request uh, for $85 million annually to fund uh, 216 new, new sh 216 new sheriff's deputies uh, to Santa Rita Jail. Um, so we uh, had to mobilize on that very quickly. We had to be very creative because obviously we, you know, we're all in a shelter in place. Uh, and so we uh, asked a lot of you, a lot of folks to, to call in, to target the supervisors that uh, this, this is uh, contrary to, to any, everything that we need to happen right now. And so uh, we were successful in um, ref for now postponing that vote. Um, so the Board of Supervisors did not vote on, on that on Tuesday, but they have committed to voting on it next Tuesday. Uh, and this is $85 million annually for three years. So that's $255 million uh, that, the that the sheriff is asking for and that the Board of Supervisors is seriously considering right now um, for 216 new sheriff's deputies to Santa Rita in the middle of our uh, COVID-19 global pandemic. Uh, and we are vehemently, adamantly, and fiercely pushing back on that. Uh, we need support from you as we talk about um, reentry services. We believe that, that those funds are better spent in our communities and health affirming resources, uh, funding healthcare at a time when nurses uh, don't have protective gear, at a time when uh, a, a lot of folks are being laid off. Uh, we need those resources, uh, those $255 million to go into our communities. Uh, we also need to uh, fund um, reentry services. And so we believe a good chunk of that money needs to go into reentry services. Uh, and later on, um, we can talk about how we can um, um, get more plugged into that. We are uh, asking folks to contact Alameda County uh, Board President uh, Richard Valle. Uh, it's in the call to action, but I'm, I'm hoping we can um, talk more about that in our groups. Um, and I want to uh, update you a little more on uh, what's happening on the Oakland level. Uh, uh, 
local level. Uh, so I'm going to uh, pass it to um, our senior organizer uh, and legal advocate, uh, Angelo Sandoval. That was a lot of information and there's a lot more coming. So let's all just collectively take a breath. This is definitely a moment of crisis, but it's also very much a moment of opportunity. A little bit of background on my work. Um, I lead the Heal Not Harm campaign to end the criminalization of the unsheltered crisis here in the city of Oakland. Now, this campaign has gone through several iterations in my time here. Uh, when I first arrived, it was talking about how ineffective these policies are, how they simply don't actually serve the needs of our community. They cycle people in and out. They leave people more traumatized than they were in the beginning. Then we talked about how inefficient these programs were, how expensive it is to just cycle people around and not actually meet their needs, and how much more effective it would be to build up uh, local community-based solutions. And then uh, just this last December, we pivoted again to talking about its basic unconstitutionality because of a Supreme Court decision not to uh, review a Ninth Circuit case that said it was cruel and unusual punishment, a violation of the Eighth Amendment to displace people um, from public areas when they had nowhere to go. Uh, so just February, we had a direct action where we stood shoulder to shoulder with unsheltered folks and we you know, spoke truth to power and really talked about the way that these systems fail our communities and how this change, um, how these things need to change immediately. I mean, the fastest growing subpopulation of the homeless is elderly folks, uh, folks that are on fixed incomes um, that are just unable to um, keep up with rising cost of living. 70% um, of the people on the streets of Oakland are black. 60% of the people on the streets of Alameda County are from Alameda County. These aren't people coming from somewhere else. I mean, those are just some of the kind of myths we have to push back against. So it was really powerful to stand shoulder to shoulder with long-term Oakland residents and talk to our council members and explain to them that these evictions, these sweeps needed to end, that we needed to provide hygiene, we needed to provide um, porto potties and hand wash stations to all encampments, and that these Jim Crow laws that criminalize poverty and homelessness needed to be repealed. That was February. That's where um, things stood before the COVID-19 uh, COVID uh, global pandemic. Where we are now, we are still, despite how it may feel, we are still at the very beginning of this pandemic. We haven't even seen um, our uh, hospitals and our public health care system become overwhelmed yet. That's probably coming within the next week or so. But that means that things are moving very, very quickly. Um, in the last week, the Center for Disease Control uh, issued um, recommendations to all cities and localities saying that evictions of encampments should not take place unless um, each person evicted is offered an individual housing unit. Um, we um, got word now, and actually the language has officially been introduced. Council President Kaplan will be introducing an ordinance that will be heard by council this Friday, um, making that policy in Oakland, officially ending the evictions um, as long as we're in this state of crisis. So that's um, a, major, a major move forward. Um, in addition, um, she's also authoring legislation, authoring approximately $1.6 million to hygiene. So that's porto potties, that's hand washing stations, that's um, you know, safety equipment being handed out to encampments. But once again, a major victory. And if this was a month ago, we would be celebrating right now. 
but it's not. The crisis has shifted, the moment has shifted, and our demands, appropriately enough, also need to shift. So while we will be showing up and turning out on Friday at this uh, teleconference um, city council meeting and encouraging others to do the same, that is actually just the beginning. We are currently working with people on the ground. Um, really the only solution to this immediate crisis for the unsheltered is housing. It's immediately uh, putting them in hotels, motels, vacant Airbnb units. The uh, city and county of San Francisco is already doing this. Um, there are people inspired by Moms for Housing down in Los Angeles that are using the direct action route. In Oakland, we're using some combination of the two. There are people that are moving in a, and preparing for direct action. There are others that are trying to build a coalition to put pressure on the mayor and on the council to uh, put resources behind um, housing people immediately. Um, so yeah, our, our immediate demand is housing for all. Um, and we really want that to be permanent. We think that this crisis, um, one of the things that people aren't understanding is that until a vaccine is readily available, something like 18 months from now, uh, we will be living in a fundamentally shifted world. And in this new world, it means throwing people in jail and throwing people on the street is no longer just dangerous to those people, it's dangerous to all of us and it can no longer be the status quo. So that's like a fundamental shift that I believe um, as a society, we'll be slowly coming to terms with, but that means that those of us that are planting the seeds for community-based solutions um, are in a position to really kind of define what comes next. So that meeting is going to be this Friday, March 27th. It'll be at 11 a.m. Electronically, you can participate through e-comment, Zoom video conference, and you can actually phone call in. Item number one, which I do want to raise up, it's not our particular work, but it's very much related, is Council Member Bass's eviction moratorium. We're very much in support of it. It's broad-based. Um, the county of Alameda passed one that applies to unincorporated areas, but it's very narrow and only applies to individuals who can specifically show that their eviction is a direct result of lost income or the inability to find childcare as a result of COVID, as opposed to understanding that right now evicting people and putting them on the street is potentially going to be a death sentence. And it's something as a society that we can no longer tolerate. Um, and uh, item number two will be the CDC guidance on homelessness evictions. Item three will be the $1.6 million uh, for hygiene. So we really do want to show up and put pressure on our council members to make sure that they support these things going forward. But it really is just the beginning and allowing encampments as they currently exist, even with some low level upgrade is still gonna leave a lot of elderly, uh, a lot of very vulnerable populations uh, in a position where they aren't gonna get the support they need during this time of crisis. Um, so thank you for your time. Whew. Thanks, Angelo. Um, so now we're gonna move into the Q&A section. So we noticed that there were a few categories, right, of, of themes that these questions came into. Um, and so we'll start by going through them. The first is this basic question of like, why is CDCR failing to meet basic needs? Um, and how are folks organizing inside? Second, um, folks were asking like, what do we do after the call, particularly if you have a loved one inside? Third, we'll talk about updates on EBC's policy work, maybe separately from COVID-19. Um, and then finally, what do we do after the call if we want to support EBC moving forward? So the first question comes from Linda Thompson. Thank you so much, Linda. Um, and I would, I'll refer, I'll defer to James or Emily. Um, she's asking, why aren't they handing out extra soap that CDCR states they are? So if James or Emily, if either of you want to take this question, have at it. 
James, I can jump in um, and feel free to, to join. I, um, I've, I've heard some of the similar concerns. I know um, some of our allies with the California Coalition for Women Prisoners have put, put together a letter explaining what people were getting access to, at least in the women's prisons, and also saying what they weren't getting access to that CDCR was stating. And we were able to help them um, get some response to that from higher ups in CDCR. So um, Linda or anybody, if, if there's specific, it's easiest when we can say like this yard, this is what's happening, this is what's needed. Um, and so if you can get that information to us, we can make, we can continue to try to do our best to, to you know, raise any complaints about what, what people aren't getting access to that they need. Great. Thanks so much, Emily. Um, our next question will be for James. And we're asking, how are folks organizing inside? What are people doing for themselves? Thank you. That's a um, great question. So I, I've the one effort that I'm aware of is, is occurring at, at San Quentin, where guys have gone around and written out a letter for the governor explaining what their current reality is now, um, the amount of supplies they're, they're getting, the density of the dorms that they're living in. And they haven't been able to connect with other parts of the prison because of um, the quarantines and lockdowns that are taking place there. However, people are, a lot of people have signed on to that initial letter. Um, I think that also um, people are using their contacts with, with people like us in the movement and asking us to amplify their voices as well. So you'll see a lot of the, the concerns that people are putting forth to me and Emily and Adnan and others reflected in our social media feeds as well. Thanks, James. Um, so our next question is um, in the bucket of what to do after the call if you have a loved one inside, if their loved one is sick. Um, this is Emily. I, in the chat, I started putting um, the links to, if your loved one is sick, to the ombudsman's offices so you can find the ombudsman for the specific prison, my email address so that I can connect you to the attorneys that are working on the Plata Coleman lawsuits, and then also a link to contacting your legislate, legislators, how you find them, um, and we would be happy to help folks with that if they have questions. Um, and then we do also have some resources that our allies have put together around, because we know that CDCR is doing an, an inadequate job getting people the resources they need. Some of, um, you know, some of the ways that folks can do self-care with the limited items that they can get through Canteen. Um, the third section is thinking about EBC's policy work, um, asking, um, are there, do you have any updates on SB 1393 and what's all happening with that? So um, with 1393, which is a bill that the Ella Baker Center helped pass, um, which went into effect in January of last year, which um, made it so that judges had the opportunity whether or not to um, add a five-year enhancement for prior serious felonies. Uh, currently, CDCR has review, is in the process of reviewing um, everybody who is currently in custody, who has a final sentence, um, to see whether or not they will make a recommendation to the courts for them to be resentenced um, and have that five, those five years removed. The challenge is that the court, like a lot of court 
um, practices right now, courtrooms are fairly restricted. There has been some advocacy saying that any resentencing efforts should continue. Um, and we're, we haven't heard reports as to whether or not CDCR is still in operation and doing reviews remotely at this point. Um, but we have uh, we are aware that those have started and are moving, but it is relatively slow at this point. Thanks, Emily. Do our organizers have any tips or thoughts about how we can continue to do work remotely together? Hey, Um, yeah, I think what we're doing right now um, is an example of that, you know, in a time when we are told uh, to isolate and to not get together, here we are, um, you know. (laughs) So um, uh, the other thing I think that um, I see Uh, A number of organizers, a number of folks doing this work, we have just been bombarded like left and right with emails, um, just uh, it it just in inboxes just blown up, you know, and uh, there are a lot of demands going out, a lot of letters, a lot of sign ons, um, you know, do I I think something that we have to think about is um, changing, uh, not changing, but adding to our tactics uh, into this new digital organizing, you know, um, for the time being and um, one thing that we've been asking folks is uh, when they sign on to a letter, great, sign on to it. And if you have time, also call them. And so because your, your phone calls right now are really making a difference. Um, you know, another thing that, you know, we uh, are looking at a little bit more is uh, really amplifying more. We, we've always been we've always had a good foot on, on social media, but just really amplifying things a lot more on social media um, videos. We put out a video uh, last week, you know, urging folks to call uh, the DA. So things like that, you know, and something that you could do at home is literally you could take your phone and record yourself. Um, and there's a lot of apps out there that will let you um, um uh, edit videos. Uh, there's also a lot of folks um, that are looking for work right now that are just sitting at home uh, who have those skill sets that want to help. And so putting out a call to folks to see, are you good at graphic design? Are you good at, um, you know, um, uh, videos? Or, you know, okay, do, is it, if you want to help, you want to volunteer, now's the time. So yeah, those are things that we, we've been doing. Um, yeah. Amazing. Thanks so much, Jose. Um, so we'll wrap up now. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much to everyone for joining us today and for, you know, walking with us as we figure out how to do this new organizing online. Um, this is a first step in building community power and I really appreciate your active participation. And if you have questions, please feel free to reach out, you know, we're here for each other. This is a weird moment and we will get through it by supporting and working together and we're hearing new developments every day. And so, you know, we know that now is a critical moment to take action and get our people free. Um, Yeah. So thank you so much for being with us today and always um, be well, stay safe, and we hope to see you soon. Ella's Voice is a production of the Ella Baker Center in Oakland, California. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a review. To become a member of the Ella Baker Center and organize with us to win jobs, not jails, books, not bars, and healthcare, not handcuffs, go to ellabakercenter.org.